0: you got to clap it in to sync the audio, of right? Of course. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like that's a uh, poor man's version of slating. Right? <laughs> I can't carry a slate around everywhere. It won't put in my purse. It works. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for your understanding. We're a low-budget production, but the high quality, though, I assure you. I assure you. So uh, my name is Natasha Everybody, Jung from Colty Collective, and I'm here with Chantelle Thuy, um, Vietnamese-Canadian actor. We are here in Los Angeles, California. Happy winter, I guess. Ish. Ish. Yeah, it's 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 been kinda of coolish the last few days. But it's in the sixties. Sixties is
1: cold for California.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I mean you know a lot about the cold. You're from Montreal. Mhm. Yeah, so and you grew up there. I know I about
1: guess. the minus forty degrees plus windshield factor. Yeah. Celsius.
0: Yes, yeah, <laughs> Celsius, exactly. So you have to differentiate And long these.
1: johns underneath snow pants and snow boots. I'm sorry. I'm yes. so glad I don't have to do that anymore. No,
0: no, that's fine. You know, I'm from Vancouver, so we're much more temperate. So You always get rain. We do. And a a lot of rain. But I I feel like you've probably been a bit more acclimatized to the Los Angeles weather now. Yeah, I
1: would choose sun and then snow and then rain. Okay, why is that? That's my order. Because rain is depressing, whereas snow snow is cold, but it's still blue skies most of the time. Yes,
0: that's true. It can bring so much joy. There's still sun. It is kind of a beautiful thing sometimes when you're not stuck in traffic to have to deal with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yes. Well, I, I mean, needless to say, I'm really enjoying my time in Los Angeles right now. Um, how long have you been in L.A. now?
1: I've been here five, six years. I moved from New York, stayed in New York for a year, did theater, and then I came out here. Yeah.
0: So you got your start in theater. How was that for you?
1: Um, After graduating from Stella Adler, I did a couple of plays in New York. I did one with the Pen Asian Rep. Yeah, and it was, it was fun. It, I love doing theater. I'm happy to be doing a play yes. now, this year. Yeah.
0: And yeah. is your hair pink for the play? It is. Amazing. Tell it us about the play pink. and your character. <laughs> it's very pink.
1: It's super pink. It's It was pinker last week, but the dye fades so fast, yeah. especially with this color. Oh, yeah. The play is called Linda Vista by Tracy Lutz, who is a Pulitzer Prize winner. And he, this is one of his new plays. And it follows uh, a central character named Wheeler, who's a 50-year-old Caucasian misanthrope. And his relationship with other women and the dysfunctional chaos that results from middle life crisis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I play a character named Minnie, who's a 20-something-year-old rockabilly Vietnamese girl from Lina Vista, San Diego.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I get to be a smart ass. Yes. A little, like a little punk rebellious. <laughs> it's completely the opposite of any model minority trope yeah. that an Asian person would have.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And did you, you know, growing up in like the the real you, like Chantal, like did you grow up Trying to fit into that model minority yourself, or did you always feel like you'd always, you know, lean more towards the performing arts and, and acting?
1: I think that's an interesting question, and I think it's very common for Asian artists to have cultural two different cultures mm-hmm. kind of fighting for a place, and one is the parental culture, mm-hmm. the other is you know your individuality and who you are. I've tried for a long time to fit into what my parents. Wanted, mm-hmm. which is like go be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or to the worst, go study business. No. Oh, like okay. the worst Was that was the worst business. one? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so like having to study physics and chemistry and like failing at those, I was like, okay, I'll just do something with math, but failing at math. Oh, no. I had to do Kumon. Oh, yeah. Shout so out then to I, Kumon. Then I Then I liked math at some point. Okay. Okay, good. It kind of turned around when I had a mentor when I was 17 who gave me a book uh, called The Prophet, the Kilo Gibran book. And and uh, I read a passage from that, which was about parents, how you come from your parents, but you are not your parents. Mm-hmm. So uh, like a bow and arrow. The children are the, the arrows sprung forth from the bow. And with that in mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to follow my heart. And I've always been an artist, whether painting mm-hmm. or karaoke singing. Yes,
0: and that, <laughs> or, that, that or is theater. an art, honestly, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And how did you land on acting? Uh, doing short films and things like that through college. And then
1: at one point, I did a student exchange program in San Francisco, and I was exposed to Asian-American films for the first time.
0: Uh, and and um, how old are you at that time?
1: Probably about 20. Okay. I decided, oh, you know what, this is something that I can, I, I would like to do. This is something I can I can contribute to
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then going back home and seeing the lack of Asian representation especially Quebec I think Canada is better as a whole mm. but in Quebec I can name three four actors that have appeared in yeah films and in the French Canadian side
0: for sure and for those of you who, who don't know um you know kind of the the dynamics of Quebec and Montreal in particular how would you describe that what do you mean in, in I guess in, ter- in relationship to Canada? I'm sorry, no. I guess in terms of um, for for those that don't necessarily know about that the culture dynamics or the diversity oh, yeah. um, in Montreal, how would you describe it? So the media
1: landscape in the French Canadian side, I think is is very specifically the Quebec culture mm-hmm. that is represented, and that is very Caucasian, that's very white, and that's very French. And I think a lot of Asians, whether Chinese, Vietnamese, or Japanese or whatever, are first generation born. Are newly immigrant in Quebec in particular, mm-hmm. so it is new to them. We don't have third, fourth, fifth generation like the, the states do. Yeah. So there's some cultural barriers and there's some language barriers, mm-hmm. but I think that was part of the incentive to try and change that. Got at it. At some point.
0: Yeah. I haven't worked in Quebec yet, but that's, <laughs> that is the, like one of the goals. Yeah. And have you had the opportunity to use your language skills other in? Um, or, do you speak Vietnamese as well? I,
1: I do speak Vietnamese yeah um, I speak a little Vietnamese in this play I spoke a little Viet, uh, little French in pretty little liars that I shot years ago yeah so it, it has come in handy yeah I would love for it to play a bigger role mm-hmm. and I think that's something down the line that either French especially yeah. French
0: that I'd like to do and it's definitely you know it's not one of those things where you see an Asian person on screen and then they're dubbed over by something else, it would actually be coming from you, right? Yeah. Now, that would be actually pretty uh, special and inspiring because, I mean, first off, you know, talking about, like, last year, um, before we jumped into the interview, we're talking about 2018 and how mm-hmm. that was such a great year for Asians in film, but, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to get down to, like, even those deeper layers of not just identity and who we are and representation, yeah. but, I mean, just diversity amongst the different lifestyles, different backgrounds and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. Where do you think we're heading when it comes to that?
1: I had this event that I needed, I attended for... Linda Vista on Monday, mm-hmm. and Annette Benning and Warren Beatty was there. Wow! And then I was talking to Warren, and he's like, "Oh, have you done film?" And I'm like, "Not, not too much yeah. yet." He's like, "It's gonna be your time." And I was like, "There's not that many roles for Asian." He's like, "Just wait, it's coming." <laughs> so. <laughs> It's so coming. That,
0: the, even Warren Beatty was Our just time like, "Our coming." <laughs> it's like he's telling you, "It's coming." So does that mean <laughs> hopefully he's funding and like you know supporting some upcoming projects? Who products? knows? But it's coming. <laughs> the fact that he, you get that kind of recognition is is cool though. That's that's good to see that. Yeah, the the, the landscape is
1: slowly changing mm-hmm. and. It, I think there has been a demand and there's more Mm -hmm. inclusion and there's more, I think the big conversation and the awareness is happening and that's how you
0: start change. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about Black Lightning. Mm -hmm. So tell us about, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the show, um, what's the show about and what is your character all about? Black Lightning centers around an African-American superhero family. It's the first ever
1: uh, on network television, which is, is historical when it came out last year. I play a character named Grace Choi, who's written in the DC comics as an Asian-American superhero mm-hmm. um, who's in a relationship with the, the oldest daughter of that family, Anissa, mm-hmm. played by Nafisa Williams. So our relationship has slowly been developing through the past two seasons. Yeah. And it's exciting yeah I'm, I'm coming into some
0: potential powers we're learning more about that That's so, so cool yeah And so before this you know were you a, a comic fan yourself or I, I, I grew
1: up reading maybe Archie's or I don't know just sure or Actually, I I grew up with like Sailor Moon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And <laughs> and then getting into the Marvel franchises, mm-hmm. Iron Man, and all of those. Yeah. So that's. Pretty. But I I wasn't
0: a comic. I didn't know that much. Yeah. But now I'm learning. Yeah. Everyone's teaching me. All the fans. That's so good. That's so good. And so um, that's pretty incredible to actually play, like, specifically an Asian-American woman representing the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. community. And you have superpowers. Like, that's freaking insane, right? What do you think that means to all those different communities? So, like, females, Asian-Americans, as well as the LGBTQ community.
1: I get feedback from... Mainly it's the the young girls who are watching the show and messages from either... You know, girls who are bisexual, and then feel their voices are, are being recognized. Mm-hmm. Then young, yeah, you know, women of color who have become fans of the character and of the relationship mm-hmm. and
0: of the show because it. it represents something to them that they don't see often on television. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I admittedly I'm only a few episodes into the first season right now. And That's so okay. you've, you've been introduced, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the, the point where I'm at right now, but um no, I don't think I'm, I'm spoiling it at all, but Anissa's relationship with her, with her parents um, mm-hmm. is really kind of quite unique. And I don't know if I've personally come across um, you know, that on television before, but it wasn't some, like, oh, it's a big reveal, like, she's hiding that she's a lesbian. Yeah. It's, like, nothing like that. It's just, that's who she is. They've already covered that. You know, you kind of jump into the story where, like, she's already very clearly in a relationship with another woman, and I just think that's... I just found that to be very refreshing. Absolutely. That that
1: was actually one of the main points in the first season that was spoken about yeah. in, in the press was that it was normalized. Yeah. It wasn't... A re- it didn't have to be a huge journey into becoming and coming out. Yeah, which is which has its value. Mm-hmm. I think we appreciated that it was just part of some mainstream. It, it was normal. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh my God, what's happening? Yeah, I can't believe it. Okay, now I love you. It was just
0: we love you. That's it's like okay. that, and that's it. At the end of the day, that's that's what it is as family and stuff, right? So it wasn't it, the issue.
1: Yeah. The issue was love, was mm-hmm. relationship, was family. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so later on, if, if you don't mind me asking, later on as we see the development of your character, Grace mm-hmm. Troy, do we see a little bit more about her and kind of, perhaps what makes her either uniquely Asian or just maybe even not specifically Asian? Towards the later half of the second season, we'll get more race backstory. I think some of that will come into play. Seriously though, there's so many Asian Americans, Asian Canadians kicking ass Mm -hmm. in film and television right now. So, who are some amazing uh, Asian American women that you are, you know, very excited about, you're following and you're supportive of her right now?
1: Okay. Asian, Asian in general, Maggie Chung. Yeah. Because I grew up with her oh, and yeah. watched her films and just loved her essence on, mm. on screen and her edginess. And Aquafina. Oh, my gosh. Because she's the most hilarious
0: person ever. Is that what she's like in, in real life? You know I don't mean? know. Like, we don't know.
1: Like, But, but it, she's just, <laughs> there's some essence of her that that's probably just as funny and just as, like,
0: quirky. Exactly. It's got to come from somewhere, right? Yeah, and yeah. I love funny people. Yes, yes. That's amazing. And so um, they say that you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Who are the people in your life that you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're like, "Hmm, is is that true now? Um, Who are the people in your life that you feel have influenced who you are today?
1: Well, I I would say the first is my family. Yeah. Even though we've gone through so much disastrous fights and separation, where we're at now with my sisters and my parents, everyone Mm. is very close and supportive. Yeah. And I and even even my extended family, all my cousins and my aunts and uncles, there's such a unity to our family that I get inspired by them every day. We yeah. have a chat group where we chat every day. I have a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. Uh, we call him Rinpoche. That for me is a spiritual guidance mm, that really keeps me grounded. Yeah. And then many, many girlfriends who and and obviously, yeah, five people. I'm just saying. I'm just naming no, that's, groups. that's fine. <laughs> but the girlfriends and the friends and my people who see me, who I see, who are just
0: yeah,
1: as supportive as
0: my family is. For sure, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, if they were to describe uh, Chantal like five years ago versus Chantal today, what would they say?
1: When I was in theater school, we had to do this exercise where you would write down qualities how you would describe this one of your classmates sure yeah I think I got a lot of like free-spirited edgy <laughs> kind maybe mm-hmm. but it was in those realms yeah so if they would describe me the same way now I yeah. would say that, People would be like, "Oh, I you're mean, you're less flighty. Flighty. You're, <laughs> no, you you've been living in one place for like five years. Wow. <laughs> you, you know, I think there's more stability, more yeah. groundedness.
0: Yeah. yeah. And does that come from your groundedness come from your spiritual Probably.
1: guide? Yeah. Probably. And I think that you know, that there's been a huge transformation that personal things that happened yes. four or five years ago that just kind of made me re-examine and, like, you know, reassess
0: life. Got it. <laughs> Are you able to touch upon any of those? If not, that's fine to you. Well,
1: I, I just had, um you know, a, a, a close friend pass away, and oh. it took some time to heal. And to, that experience really helped me re-examine life and my priorities mm-hmm. and values, my beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I spent a good two years kind of just recreating my belief system and my you know the direction of my life almost do you know what your core values are compassion and kindness honesty having integrity
0: yeah yeah no those are definitely some of the key things and you know whenever i ask people that question it's very much um you can say that they're generic but i think at the same time they're generic because they're so important um to who we are as people and as a society yeah and
1: i also realize that My understanding of those words five years ago or before was on one level. Mm -hmm. But then with a new experience that really, you know, hits you at your
0: core, those words have a completely new meaning.
1: The weight of
0: those words just amplify. And the connection probably becomes stronger for you as well. Yeah, I totally get that. Mm. And so what about uh, Chantal in five years from now?
1: We're all works of progress.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So...
1: I believe that. Progress, not perfection. Yes. So hopefully in five years I'll be going in the same direction and
0: mm-hmm. just
1: you know, being as kind and compassionate as I possibly mm-hmm. can be. I think those are two things, the Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. go out of fashion, that's right. for sure. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love his What does he say? He says, my religion is kindness, you know, and I think that's a practice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And just I think being able to contribute whatever I can to to help people feel more loved and accepted Mm -hmm. and seen and heard.
0: What would you say to someone that you think might need a little bit more kindness um, for themselves?
1: I learned that self-compassion is very important Mm -hmm. as a base because I think we tend to project our negative feelings, either shame, anger, you know, whatever it is we sometimes we don't want to feel instead of just holding space for those feelings. And also being of service to other people. So going outside of your own self helps you to connect to other people. So even just starting with that. Mm -hmm. And have you always been a spiritual person yourself? I think I've always been a seeker of some kind. Yeah. And I've gotten into trouble with that. Oh, how so? Oh, I don't know, man. (laughs) I once was so, when I was younger, I was living in New York. I think I like had a really bad day. And then I walked into one of those psychic shops on Avenue B. (laughs) Okay. And she's like, okay. Give me, like, you're going to have to give me $200 if you want your energy cleanse. And I was like, oh, my God, shit, I need my energy cleanse. Oh, no. So I dipped into my rent money <gasps> to pay this lady <laughs> oh, fucking geez. hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I lo- yeah. That was a big lesson, though. Yeah. Never do it again. Never yeah. do that.
0: You did not feel cleansed. No. this is say... There's definitely ways you can do it without having to, yeah. to drop some bills. You live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, like at that time, you're probably just like anything, anything that I can that I can do, right? But I I've, have been able to at
1: least grow spiritually a mm. little bit and learn that uh, a lot of what I was seeking externally comes from inside.
0: Aww. That's lovely. And so, for for those of us that haven't, you know, necessarily um, kind of gone on that spiritual exploration journey just yet, how would you encourage yeah. us, like, to actually start on that journey for ourselves?
1: Um, I think I've spent, you know, most of my life looking for teachers or reading. I, you know, really afraid and had the intention of finding someone that was that I could learn from. And so, finding a right teacher. Mm-hmm. Whatever religion that is for you mm-hmm. is finding someone that has more experience and can guide you through life lessons really yeah it's almost like a life teacher because at some point and I don't want to get too heavy on with this but at one point you will confront death you will com- confront impermanence you mm-hmm. will confront illness and so for me it's a way of being able to be human and connect mm-hmm. through all those experiences finding a good guide and also relying on your inner wisdom.
0: Yeah. Now, have there actually been times where you didn't listen to your inner wisdom, but you wish you had?
1: Plenty of <laughs> times.
0: <laughs> Plenty. And how do you learn to actually, you know, not, not necessarily give in to that, but how do you actually learn to listen to your inner wisdom all the time or like right from the get-go?
1: I think sometimes it's such a quiet voice inside of you. And it's like, oh, this would be good for you. Or, this is not good for you. But our mind and our automatic reactions to things and or habits take over and I think to slow down and be like oh this this is actually something that would be good for me in the long term and I think it's that idea the immediate satisfaction versus long-term happiness mm-hmm. or happiness of others mm-hmm. I think it's easy for us to live life automatically but then to stop slow down and then really check in with ourselves mm-hmm taking the time to journal or sit
0: with yourself do you meditate I try to <laughs> it's easier said it's, than it, done right yeah comes in and out of my life yeah yeah what's the um the first thing you do when you wake up and last thing you do before you go to bed bad habits man <laughs> I check and that's okay. my phone oh okay like first thing you're just like
1: I can't even see yet but I'm gonna put I my turn phone. my alarm off Okay, And then yeah. that turns into checking my emails. And then that turns into checking my social media. <laughs> no, but my aspirational self would say that I want to journal first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. do
0: three pages, like the artist way, Yeah. or at night. That happens sometimes. Sometimes, okay. Sometimes is better than not though, right? Yeah. The fact that you've, you've done it a few times, or sometimes at least, is uh, you're well on your way, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, is there anything else that you're working on right now that you wanted to talk about specifically?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the play is probably the main thing. Yeah, but that's, not,
0: that's probably wrapping up soon, yeah. right? Yeah, we are
1: wrapping up in a week and a half. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I don't think I'll be able to get this
0: out um, Yeah, I, then, I've but...
1: got, um, got book rights for a Canadian-Vietnamese novel called That Summer in Provincetown, written by Cao Lin Vu, and it's something I'm going to slowly be chipping away at. Cool. To uh, get a screenplay and then pitch it and make a, make a film out of this book, which would be a French-Canadian-Vietnamese story.
0: Yeah. So what, what exactly is the story about, and um, you know why did you choose this particular book to, to get the rights for?
1: This book is not quite like a novel. It's, it's, it even feels more like little short stories, mm-hmm. and it covers Carolyn's family. Fictitious, but also very close to her own personal experiences. Mm -hmm. And when I read through them, I really connected with some of the characters Mm -hmm. and some of these stories, and I felt like there was a story there that wasn't quite told, but I I wanted to tell about the summer that she spent with her cousin, who's half French, half Vietnamese, in Provincetown.
0: Where's Provincetown?
1: It's on the East Coast. It's a short drive from Quebec. It's a a town where um, her cousin had a was working in a fashion store Mm. Uh, and it's a very hot spot for parties during that time in the 80s and there's a journey there of discovering yourself your sexuality Mm -hmm. Uh, her her cousin eventually died of aids in the 80s in 86 and during that time people didn't really know what it was Mm -hmm. her family still kind of disowned that fact and labeled it as dying from hemorrhoids oh and there's something really tragic about it but their relationship as cousins was so touching to me and i could feel i could feel the connection Mm -hmm. and i really find it interesting to develop a story that's based on familial bond
0: yeah because that's um I mean, especially as Asian millennials, as the um, the audience is, and and our readers are for Collective, like a lot of our personal stories, particularly are examining and exploring kind of those familial bonds, those relationships, mm-hmm. um, to be able to better understand ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, certainly you could say maybe stereotypically, like Asian families, they might you know kind of tend to brush aside like the things that they don't know how to talk about or don't want to talk about, yeah. and so yeah that's really unfortunate to hear. I mean, like that that you know of course that happens in that story, but I mean to be able to kind of distill that and actually communicate that in a storytelling and in a visual format, I think mm-hmm. would be really powerful. Now, is producing and screenwriting something that you always intended to do, or is that just do you feel like that's just the next step for you
1: i ideally, I would have a writer to help,
0: yeah, okay, because gotcha. I you know
1: screen writing is a craft of its own and mm-hmm. So I've I've spoken to different writers. Yeah. Or just talked about it, but I would like to just have the synopsis and probably a big sheet. That yeah. I'm okay doing. Yeah. Okay. It's the long hours of writing that I maybe need to like take a three month and retreat and
0: yeah. Get it done. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, like, how do you how do you spend your days now? Auditioning. Yeah.
1: Auditioning and then show at night.
0: Yeah. That's that's quite a bit. That's quite yeah. a bit. And so how many auditions do you, think you do you say you would do a week? I uh, Like three yesterday. Whew. Today. Oh, my gosh.
1: It gets busy during this time period.
0: Yeah. Is it mostly like at the beginning of the year? Is that why? Um, pilot season for oh,
1: actors. Yeah. Yeah. Usually runs between now till April. Got it. Got it. So it's generally busy for people. Got it. Got it.
0: Yeah, no, it's a super exciting time though, and hopefully, yeah. hopefully, you will get to see you in, a, in, a, in some more productions of film and, and television yeah, as well, absolutely. and hopefully on stage too. Our series is called Pearls of Wisdom, so I have to ask you, Chantel. Yes. Um, do you have a pearl of wisdom, other about life, or acting, or pursuing your passions, or being compassionate, anything that we talked about today that you'd like to share with our audience and listeners?
1: Take it one day at a time, and don't give up.
0: Nice, nice and succinct. <laughs> yes, that's perfect.
1: There's so many,
0: but I'll that's leave you with that one. That's what it comes down to, right? Yeah. So, gotcha. Cool. Um, so now I'm gonna ask you a couple like rapid-fire questions. Oh, these. Oh, yes, these fun things here. So I'm just gonna uh, stay seated. Okay. So Chantel, Yes. I have to say um, your name is very familiar to me because it's actually my middle name as well. Oh. So we're basically the same person. I mean, you might not. We might not look necessarily the same, but.
1: You, I think you you're
0: Chantelle though. Chantel, Chant, Chan, Chantelle.
1: Are you Chantelle or or Chantel? What's the difference? That's it's a very subtle <laughs> difference.
0: Cuz we were talking about this earlier, right? Like how do you like who, who knows? knows your name? I right? don't have the answer. <laughs> but what do you prefer? How would you introduce yourself to someone? Probably Chantel,
1: Chantelle.